You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. We're uh, continuing on a teaching titled Beyond Ourselves. Everybody say Beyond Me. And uh, we've spent a couple of weeks on this already and, and we'll come back to some points. I just got to check something here real quick. I'm good to go. I uh, got something for you here. Um, let me mention this because this is something we celebrate and something that we, that I look for and, I'm, and I measure because I think it's so important. I believe the church should be multicultural. And I believe the church should be multigenerational. And if you just look up and down your, your row, you're going to see all different ages and all different colors, even all different sizes. Um, but we celebrate the fact that we're multi-generational, multicultural. I believe that heaven is, the book of Revelation reveals, it's every tribe and kindred and nation and tongue and people. It's, it's a, a beautiful variety and diversity. And I believe that that should be in the church. And we celebrate that. And I am so thankful that that uh, is part of the description of Meadowbrook Church that we are multicultural and we are multigenerational. And there's, there is such wealth of wisdom, experience, and gifts and, and backgrounds that brings us all together as we do celebrate that. And I want to encourage all of us that we continue to, to celebrate that together. Now, what does that have to do with beyond ourselves? And, and uh, we're going to kind of look into this this morning. Let me first of all say that the target of this message is our hearts today. I want us to leave today with, with our hearts affected and impacted. Uh, we're going to have some application points, you know, to follow up on this message. What do we do with this? But my goal, my assignment today is to affect our hearts and to affect our thinking concerning a number of things. Let me set it up a little bit here. Uh, I mentioned multi-generational. Have you noticed the, through the ages and stages of life, see where you fit here. If you're less than 12 years old, How many of you remember being less than 12 years old? Okay. Less than 12 years old, you're so excited about aging that you think in fractions. I'm eight and a half, nine and a quarter, you know? 12 years old or older, you begin to jump to the next stage. Even if you're just 12, you say, well, I'm soon going to be 16. If you're 16, you say, I'm almost 18. Then once you become 21, something else happens after that point. Notice that you turn 30, you push 40, you reach 50. I'm 51 and and, uh, my youngest son, he'll be 11 this next week. And he jumps and runs and everything. And I can just watch him run and jump on something. Just watching him hurts my ankles and knees. (laughs) I have reached 50. Then you make it to 60. You hit 70, you're in your eighties. And then once you're in your nineties, it starts going backwards and you start counting in fractions again. (laughs) The reality is no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, God loves you and God has great purpose for you, for every one of you. 
And we have experiences and we have gifts and we have blessings. We have so many things that God has done for us. And I believe that every one of us say, that's me. Every one of us have something that we're to pass on to someone else that's coming along behind us. Now, part of God's plan is for anyone that is older than anyone else. I mean, it even happens with the older brother, with the younger brother. You have something to share. And in terms of us as believers and in terms of life, church life, uh, we have to share our faith. We have to pass our faith along. We have to let others know of the goodness of our God. Now, if you've received salvation, if in fact you're a believer, and if you've experienced any of God's goodness and faithfulness, you are blessed. Anybody here blessed? We got a few missing here. How many of you are blessed? All right. God has been so good to you and you are blessed. And we have experienced, all of us have experienced God's mercy, his goodness, his faithfulness in our lives. And so we are in fact blessed. And if you are blessed based on what we've learned in this series, if you're blessed, then you also have what? Awesome. You have responsibility. And because I had a lot to write down, I didn't want to, it's a lot of pressure, you know, everybody say I'm blessed. And because I'm blessed. I have responsibility. So we're blessed so that we can be a blessing. We are saved to serve. There are things that God does for us that it's not just for us. It's to pass on and it is for beyond ourselves. What I want to do today is to start to get us in a greater fashion. And y'all are already awesome at this, but I want us to amp this up and ramp this up and, and go a little higher with this. I want us to really start thinking and acting and praying and giving and believing and serving with this attitude that I've got to go beyond myself. I'm blessed and I have a responsibility. Now in Psalm 89 verse one, it says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, will I make known your faithfulness to who? Come on, to who? Is it up there? Y'all got that? Okay, I'll read it again here. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, will I make known your faithfulness to, everybody help me this time. All generations. Notice not just my generation, but all generations. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. We, we quoted this earlier. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to, to all generations. In the New Living Translation, it reads this way. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. So I want to make a point of this. It's to all generations, not just mine. So it goes beyond us and it goes beyond me. Rick Warren wrote a little book. They sold a few copies of it. It's called The Purpose Driven Life. Anybody? I mean, it's just gone nuts and I am so glad it has because it served a great, great need. And even people that aren't believers buy that book and he'll, he'll lead them right, right to where they need to go. Chapter one, first sentence, four words. It's not about you. Beyond ourselves, purpose for my life, start out here. It's not about you. Let's make it personal. It's not about me. Say it with me. It's not about me. What does the world tell you? It's about me and mine and my stuff. 
But I'll tell you what, it's not about us really. Now, God blesses you in ways you couldn't have even thought to have asked for. The fact that you made it through the night, you outdid a million people who did not make it through the night. The fact that you're clothed, at least everybody I've seen. There's a guy sitting off by himself. No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. That we're fed, that we got here. I mean, there's so many things. God is so good to you. His mercies, just his mercies, just his protection, just his guidance that you're not even aware of from day to day. How he protected you, how he held things back, how he prompted you in small ways. You weren't even sure that was really God. You were probably not even looking for it. And God said, no, 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 you're just going to step back over here. And he kept you safe or he put you in the right place at the right time. You're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. And your sins are forgiven. We're blessed. But we're blessed for a purpose. He's fixing us up so he can use us. And I want to talk about that in terms of different ages and different generations here this morning. I gave you this quote back in the spring. This is Pastor Brian Houston, Hillsong Church in Australia. Our loyalty to the future. Our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. Will you read that with me? Our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. The tendency of every generation is self-interest and self-preservation. We look back. We look inward. Trends and marketing cater to that. You know, and uh, if you have satellite radio, there's 70s on 7. 80s on 8, 90s on 9. And everybody thinks that the music of their era was the best music. And we all know, though, that the 70s was the best music. (laughs) Staying alive, baby. And and I've told you this before. You're walking through through the living room. The TV's on. They got some infomercial on the Bee Gees. That is music. (laughs) Chicago, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Come on, come on. But some of you are saying, oh, I can't stand that. I like this and this and whatever it would be, you know. And and it's where you came from. But what we have to, and there's nothing wrong with you liking what what you came from. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we have to do on the things that really do count. We've got to realize that it has more to do with than just what I prefer. And it has to do with going beyond myself. It's not about us. And we have to be intentional and deliberate about this to look and to live beyond ourselves. You know, actually, we have to caution ourselves and warn ourselves, especially those of us that are already convinced. We're already believers. We've already signed up. We, we love God. We have to be careful, though, and please hear this, that we don't get ingrown. And in that sense of being ingrown, we only want our own style and our own flavor and our own stuff. And you spray your home with that old hymnal smell, you know, and <laughs> I just want this. I just want this. Well, when it comes to the things that really, really matter, we've got to go beyond ourselves. It's actually irritating. To a degree, when you find a person that's all they care about is their stuff, their songs, their way of doing things. Because you know what? That that serves nobody. 
And we've got to start to look up and look around and live and think and, and pray and believe and look beyond just ourselves and realize there's people all around us and we're blessed, but we have a responsibility that goes with that blessing. In Haggai chapter two, verse nine, it says the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. What he's saying is that the future glory, everybody say future glory. The future glory is to be greater than the past glory. And can I tell you something about the past glory? It was glorious. God has done such incredible things. How is he going to outdo himself? Read the book. He has full plans to outdo himself. And the more that we cooperate with him, the more we think like this and believe like this. God is wanting to take us from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength, from victory to victory. I wish y'all were here. He's wanting to do that. But the, the, the future glory is greater than the previous glory. And we've got to, we've got to tap into that. And in Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse 10, Solomon, who scripture says was the wisest man on the earth. He said this, don't be looking, don't be asking, don't be longing for the good old days for this is not wise. Now, there are some things that we long for and look for. You know, I love Leave It to Beaver. And I love, you know, I loved when candy didn't cost much of anything. Uh, Listen to a few things here. This is just 55 years ago these comments could have made. I'll tell you one thing. If things keep going the way they are, it's going to be impossible to buy a week's groceries for $10. Just 55 years ago. Have you seen the new cars coming out next year? It won't be long before $1,000. We'll only buy a used one. If cigarettes keep going up in price, I'm going to quit. 20 cents a pack is ridiculous. (laughs) Did you hear the post office is thinking about charging seven cents just to mail a letter? I never thought I'd see the day all our kitchen appliances would be electric. They're even making electric typewriters now. You know, things change and sometimes we long for the simplicity or things that were comfortable, but I'm telling you what, in the things that really, really matter and the really, really matter, Solomon said, it's not wise to be looking for and longing for and asking for where are the good old days. I'm telling you what, the good days are still yet to come. And so don't get yourself locked in somewhere and take off your wheels and put it on blocks and say, you know, such is life. You know, again, God's plan is to take us from glory to glory. Somebody say amen or something in this place today. In Psalm 145, verse four, it says one generation, say one generation, one generation shall praise your works to another, another what? Another generation and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation is to tell the next generation. Let me just put it down on a personal level. Within your family, within your home, within your marriage, you, your children, whatever. They need to know when you got born again. They need to know the story of, Dad, how did you get saved? They need to hear the times that God got you through some hard things. They need to know about times that you prayed, prayed to God for them For things for them and how God worked and how God provided and how God healed and how God held things back and how God made things happen and how there were times where we didn't know how we were going to get through. And next thing we know, we were through it. And you, you and I, we have a responsibility because we've been blessed to share these things. Your children need to know your story. 
Your story about church should not be get dressed, get lined up, get in the car. We're going to church. And on the way, we're going to read Leviticus. (laughs) Yippee. They need to know that this God is real and we serve him for a reason. They need to know, mom and dad, why, why, why is this important? Why do we go to church? Why do you serve God? I mean, everybody else is doing this and this and this. And, you know, it seems like they say they're having more fun. You say, no, 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 no. Listen what I learned. Listen what God did for me. And we need to share that. We need to pass that on. Listen to me. You need to pass it on to the next generation. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. Our focus must be long term. You've got to be thinking ahead. In Judges chapter 2. Verse 7 and verse 10. It says, let me find it. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. So that's it, one generation. Served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, the next generation served the Lord. Who had seen the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Verse 10, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, they passed away. Another generation, everybody say another generation. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done. And they didn't serve him. Notice as long as somebody was around that had seen the works of God and shared those with the next generation, people continued to know God and serve God. But when that stopped happening and there weren't people around who'd seen what God had done and stopped sharing what God had done. You know, the children of Israel were commanded. And we'll bump into a scripture here in a moment. They were commanded to tell the good things that God had done, the powerful things that God had done. They were commanded to tell that to their children and to their children's children and their children's children. And they told it in such vivid, vivid ways that people that were two and three generations removed from the parting of the Red Sea thought they had gone through the Red Sea. And we need to pass it on because people will realize there is a living God and he does wonderful and glorious and powerful things. And there's nothing impossible to him. He's not just stuck in a book. It's not some religious institution or mamby-pamby theory that he's real and living and he can do anything and he knows everything and he's everywhere present at once and he was before everything and he'll be after everything. And he declares the end from the beginning. He's not even spontaneous. Listen to me. God is not spontaneous. And people are looking at I've got to do. No, God has everything all lined up declaring the end from the beginning. He's God. He is high and lifted up. He knows everything. He doesn't have to come up with some hocus pocus thing at the last minute. He's God. And we need to declare that he's alive. And what he's done in us. So that our children and their children's children and on and on that they'll know that there's a real God who does real things and they'll serve him. They'll serve him. We've got to make connections. If there's anybody younger than you, you've got to make a connection with them. If it's a generation, if it's just your brother or sister and they're a little bit younger than you, you've been a little bit further down the road, you have something that you can pass on. We have a responsibility to connect with the people that are coming behind us. I was listening to a CD of a minister's uh, conference just recently. And the speaker was speaking not in any disparaging terms. He was making a, a point. And I got another point out of this. He spoke of a minister in a ministry that if I mentioned, and I'll leave it nameless right now, that everybody here probably would have heard of. And the ministry is no longer around anymore. 
And in its heyday, they were able to uh, rally together the greatest donor base of support for ministry seen it's ever been seen before or since. And what happened, though, over the course of time, that ministry ended virtually with nothing. And this is what the speaker said that stuck out to me. He said, it wasn't that the donors stopped giving. It was that they all died off. And what happened was the great things that were going on never got connected to the next generation. They kept doing everything just the same way. And this is what we do. And that's how we do it. Without a thought to the future, without a thought to the next generation and making a connection. So that impact, forget even the donor thing of making impact with the next generation. Each generation has a responsibility to connect with the next one. We've got to show and tell the future of the church. And I'm talking church world is at stake because we have to engage the next generation. We have to train the next generation. Think about this for a moment. Yeah, I'm 51 and I'm wanting time to go a little bit slow. Because I was just in junior high. <laughs> Crazy about girls but afraid of them. <laughs> Happy. I, I wanted. I, I remember saying this. I'd rather have bills than a report card. I'd rather have a report card now. And we just never know in life really what we actually have and really where we are. We, we, we can learn and we can pay attention, but, but you know, time's going on. I'm watching my children. I'm, I'm watching some young men and women that have been raised in this church coming into places of ministry. I'm watching some things like that. And here's my question. This is what I want to, I want to impact your heart. I want to impact your thinking today. Who's, who's going to preach in the future? Who's going to teach Who's going to lead worship? Who are the missionaries going to be? Who are the people that are going to be serving? Who are the people that are going to be leveraging technology? Who are the people that are going to be generous? Who are the paymasters going to be? Who are the people that are going to come up with creative ideas? Who are the people that are going to be ushers and greeters and serving and doing all of those things? See, if we just keep doing it ourselves, then one day we die off. And if we don't engage the people that are coming up after us and say, this is the most awesome thing going on in the world, church. And the impact of it, I tell you, every time we're together, church days affect the rest of our days. And you say, well, I don't know about that. I was thinking about dropping out for a few weeks. Listen, I run into people in Target and Walmart and the grocery store and everywhere else. And they're haggard and they're drawn and they're sad. And they say to me, Pastor, I hadn't been there in a year and I don't know why. And my life is coming apart and we're sad and this. How's your wife? She's gone. And I'm not making this stuff up. And I said, get yourself back into church. Well, it's too late now. It's never too late. Amen. Ministry is re- people repair. We've got to realize this is the stuff that counts. And if things are going wonderful in your life, take a picture of it. Because things change and they change and they change and good to come again. Life is made up of seasons. But we've got to realize this is real deal stuff. And we've got to connect and engage and train the next generation how to do this. Now, I don't have a plan yet on part of this. And, and I haven't really talked to any of the staff about this. But I can almost see times 
that we set it up on regular occasion, that we've got next generation people shadowing everybody that's doing something, shadowing, learning to lead worship, learning to preach, learning to teach, learning to give, learning to serve, learning to park cars, learning to run technology. Because other, other than that, then we just start to die off. Nobody knows how to do anything, doesn't even think it matters much. And we've got to let them know that Jesus is the answer and he's still alive and church is God's plan A for mankind. And we've got to get behind this all the way and we've got to connect and engage and train the next generation. Amen. And by training, let me tell you how to train real quick here. It's kind of like in, in a couple months, I got to start teaching one of my daughters to drive. She just was born. And I'll start to teach her to drive. And this, you know, as a boy, I think as a boy coming up, you know, I remember having a little thing and it had a little steering wheel, a little gear shift, a little horn, you know, and, and they made them cooler for my boys. They had real rev noises and lights and everything else, you know. And so you start kind of learning there and you go, this is cool. And I can't wait to do it. And then my brother and I had this little metal car. That you got in and pedaled and drove around. I wish anything we had it. And then my kids came along. We got those power wheels, you know, that drive all over the yard and around the neighborhood and horns and lights and working signals and everything else, you know. I used to pretend my bike was a, was a car. I couldn't wait to drive. My friend, his dad was in the police, de- police department and back then they had like no equipment in their cars. We couldn't wait for his dad to come home because then we'd take turns sitting in their driveway just, just driving the police car. probably why I'm a chaplain today with the sheriff's office. I don't know. Just let me sit in the car. But when you teach somebody, when you train somebody, here's what you do. Four things real quick. And this works, this works, this works. You say, watch me do it. Watch me do it. Second thing is this, come do it with me. Thirdly, let me watch you do it. And number four, you do it. And I'm going to tell you what will happen. They'll come along and they'll come up with new And better ways to do what we're doing. I don't think y'all heard me. Watch me do it. Do it with me. Let me watch you do it. You do it. And they'll go and they'll come up with new and better ways. You know how I know that? Because we did. Because we did. And I want them to. I want my kids, I want your kids, I want this next generation. I want them to reach further. I want them to impact greater. I want them to come up with technology that will blow people's minds so we can get this gospel to every nook and cranny, every place in this planet. I want people to be sharp in their minds and brilliant so they can stand and give apologetics for the scripture. To minds that will want to say, y'all are intolerant and y'all don't know this and you don't know this and there is no truth. And you say, okay, there is no truth. Then listen to this. And somebody that can lay down words and living words. I want this next generation to take care of some business. Amen. But we won't even get them to be able to pay attention or even to hear us unless this. And this is where our hearts have to get engaged. We have to authentically care. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. My problem with algebra. Part of it was my problem for sure. 
was my pre-algebra teacher did not care. Didn't care about us, came in, did her job, didn't care. You don't care about me, I don't care about you, was my attitude, sixth, seventh grade. I don't want to learn that stuff anyway. Looks dumb. You should never mix numbers and letters anyway. And through life, we've all had a tendency towards that. And you know, if, some, if you feel like somebody doesn't care, then you don't, you don't care either. But we've got to show them we genuinely care. And then secondly, that we care about being authentic. But I'll tell you what, because this generation, more than any generation, can smell a phony five miles away. And it's time that we be the genuine article and we genuinely care. And then we share about the goodness of our God. It will connect together and they'll say, let's do this thing. Let me quickly give you some statistics here. Y'all still here? I got some people saying, go high tech on this. We might, but right now we're doing this. Okay. Just let this be a timeline, a lifeline here. 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old, and on up and up here back into fractions. <laughs> seven out of eight people, everybody seven, say seven out of eight. Seven. That's a huge percentage. Seven out of eight people that get born again, get born again by age 21. Seven out of eight. After age 21, the percentages of a person getting born again decline incredibly and dramatically. A worldview, everybody say worldview. A worldview is how you view your world. It determines your values, your decisions, your behaviors, what's important to you, how you handle things, and it determines your outcomes. And if you're going to make life work, you're going to have to have a biblical worldview. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He did not say, go and make converts. He did not say, go make people come to church. He said, go make disciples. Well, a person's worldview, a person's worldview gets established by about age 13. It was refined and finally settled by age 25. So they're going to be set by about age 25 of how they view the world and what is important. What do I mean by a biblical worldview? I don't have time to go into it all right now. Recently, I did a series called Filter. And it talked about how the lens that we look at life through. But there's some things that I can see just black and white. No, you can't do that. And this is the right way to do it. Well, how do you know that? Because I look through the lens of God's word. It's a biblical worldview. And when you look through here, things will make sense. And you'll understand what is wrong with abortion when you look through here. And you'll understand what is right about this or wrong about that. And it's not that we're intolerant and all that garbage it's a matter of knowing what is truth and what works. And it's important that people are disciples. And what a disciple is, is a person who got born again and a person who has a biblical worldview. Well, notice all of this happens 25 and younger. So this is what we've got to do. This becomes our high value target right there. We'll continue to have church like never before out here 
Because this has to be the generator. This has to be the energy. This also has to be where the income comes. Because you bring a child, you bring a teenager, they don't have what it takes to run the ministry. But we've got to engage and connect and believe in their future enough that what's happening out here will make a difference back there. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this because I'm already way out here anyway. There are buildings we need to build. There are things that we need to do. There's stuff that we need to get so that we can engage this, this generation a little bit better. It's not about us coming in, finding our road. Please sing my song. Somebody took my parking spot. A sinner is sitting in my regular seat. We got to get a little bit beyond that. Oh, no, no. We got to get way beyond that. Amen. I feel this so much, I'm yelling. So what we have going on, what we have going on, and we've been working on it for a number of months. It'll be full blown by the first of the year. Next generation family ministries. This encompasses nursery from birth all the way through what we call C20. Next generation family ministries. We prepared these cards. We gave them out to many of you a few months back. These are still available. You can get those out there. It explains the what, the why, the how, how we're doing it. Some of our lead people that are involved in this. And this is, it's got to be a priority in our hearts and in our minds. And what I'm coming to you today is just simply this. I want you to open your heart. I want you to open your faith. I want you to open your mind and realize it's not about you. We're blessed and we have a responsibility and we've got to make sure that we do what scripture says to do, what God wants to do. And you know what? Every time I dedicate a baby, when I pray over them, I say, and in the name of Jesus, Satan, you cannot have our children. And it's one thing to declare a prayer like that, but another thing to actually put on some boots about that and get busy about it and make something happen. Now, let me wrap this thing up here. In Psalm let me just say this too. I'm calling you to serve, to pray, to invest, to, to do whatever God puts in your heart and to connect together with us, partner together with us in every way that we do so that we can reach this next generation like never before. And next generation, I'm calling you to respond because God is setting you up. He wants to use you as well. And there's great things ahead for us. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. I found this scripture this week. I never, I never knew this was in the Bible. Psalm 71, verse 18. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me. (laughs) Until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. And listen to this in Psalm 78. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hopes anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Let me just say this. The only thing Jesus left here was the church and he's coming back for it. And when he comes back for it, it's not going to be dead and stale and boring and dim. It's going to be powerful and it's going to be glorious. And we're going to be a part of that. We're going to be a part of that. Let's lean into this. We're blessed. We're very blessed. We have a great big responsibility. 
And our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. Let me close with this. You get what you make room for. You get what you make room for. And if you remember, Elisha came upon a widow. And this widow said, I don't have anything left. I just got this one little bit of oil left. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go borrow vessels and don't borrow a few, borrow many. Go get every jug and pot and container and pop bottle. Anything you can find and bring it. And a miracle happened. Whereas they begin to pour that oil into a vessel, it would fill it up. Little vessel. It would fill it up. And as long as they kept making room for it, it kept flowing. You get what you make room for. And we are making room for people who are wondering about God. We're making room for people who are sad and desperate. Come on. We're making room for this next generation too. I want to, I want to impact even our physical plant here. We're in the, in the, in the new year, we're going to be redoing some rooms and some hallways. When I first started in ministry, one, one of the churches I got hired at as a youth pastor, my pastor said, come walk with me. I'll go show you where we're going to have youth meetings. Walked me into a room, showed me everything. And he said, and listen, your meetings on Wednesday night, come Thursday morning. I don't want a shred, a hint. Any young people have been in this room. I thought, God help us all. When I was a kid, the first youth group I was in, when we, we sat in metal, folding metal chairs, our feet didn't reach the floor. There was nothing in that room that said, we love young people. And we're going we're gonna to redo some rooms and some hallways that are so engaging, learning environments, coordinated curriculum, so that when we're teaching some things out here, they're learning the same thing in bite-sized pieces back there, so that, that all during the week, we can be on the same page with our kids. We get what we make room for. And you know what? I didn't come up with all this. It is God. It is God who initiates these things, who is at work within us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We're blessed. We've got a responsibility and we're going to fulfill it for this next generation as we live beyond ourselves. I got to stop right there. Did you get anything at all out of this? Thank you, Lord.